Section 3 of Harding's Luck. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sonja. Harding's Luck by Edith Nesbitt. Chapter 2, Part 1. Burglars. Dicky fell asleep between clean, coarse sheets in a hard, narrow bed for which fourpence had been paid. Put your clubber under your bolster, likewise your boots, was the last instruction of his new friend and father. There had been a bath, or something equally cleansing, in a pail near fire, where ragged but agreeable people were cooking herrings, sausages, and other delicacies on little gridirons or pans that they unrolled from the strange bundles that were their luggage. One man who had no gridiron cooked a piece of steak on the kitchen tongs. Dicky thought him very clever. A very fat woman asked Dicky to toast a herring for her on a bit of wood, and when he had done it, she gave him two green apples. He laid in bed and heard jolly voices talking and singing in the kitchen below, and he thought how pleasant it was to be a tramp, and what jolly fellows the tramps were, for it seemed that all these nice people were on the road, and this place, where the kitchen was, and the good company and the clean bed for fourpence, was a tramp's hotel, one of many that are scattered over the country and called common lodging houses. The singing and laughing went on long after he had fallen asleep, and if, later in the evening, there were loud-voiced arguments, or quarrels even, Dickie did not hear them. Next morning, quite early, they took the road. From some mysterious source, Mr. Beale had obtained an old double perambulator, which must have been made, Dicky thought, for very fat twins, it was so broad and roomy. Artfully piled on the front part was all the furniture needed by travellers who mean to sleep every night at the inn of the Silver Moon, that is, the inn where they have the beds with the green curtains. "'What's all that there?' Dicky asked, pointing to the odd, knobbly bundles of all sorts and shapes tied on to the perambulator's front. "'All our track, what we want on the road,' said Beale. "'And that pillowy bundle on the seat?' "'That's our clothes. "'I've bought you a little jacket to put on at nights, if it's cold or wet. "'And when you want a lift, why, here's your carriage, "'and you can sit up here and ride like the Lord Mayor, and I'll be your horse. "'The bundles will set on your knee, like a fat baby. "'Tell you what, mate, looks to me as if I took a fancy to you.' "'I have to you, I know that,' said Dicky. "'settling his crutch firmly and putting his hand into Mr. Beale's. "'Mr. Beale looked down at the touch. "'Swap me,' he said helplessly. "'Then, does it hurt you, walking?' "'Not like it did, for I went to the hospital. "'They said I'd be able to walk to rides if I wore that there beastly boot, "'but that hurts worse anything.' "'Well,' said Mr. Beale, "'you sing out when you get tired, and I give you a ride.' "'Oh, look,' said Dicky, "'the flowers.' They are only weeds, said Beale. They were, in fact, convolvuluses, little pink ones with their tendrils and leaves laid flat through the dry earth by the wayside, and, in a water meadow below the road level, big white ones, twining among thick-growing osiers and willows. Dicky filled his hands with the pink ones, and Mr. Beale let him. They died directly, he said. But I shall have them while they are alive, said Dicky, as he had said to the pawnbroker about the moonflowers. It was a wonderful day, 
all the country sights and sounds that you hardly notice because you have known them every year as long as you can remember were wonderful magic to the little boy from Deptford. the green hedge the cows looking over them the tinkle of sheep bells the baa of the sheep the black pigs in a sty close to the road the breathless rooting and grunting and the shiny black leaded cylinders that were their bodies the stubbly fields where barley stood in sheaves real barley like the people next door but three gave to their hands the woodland shadows and the lights of sudden water shoulders of brown upland pressed against the open sky the shrill thrill of the skylark's song like canary birds got loose the splendour of distance you never see distance in Deptford. the magpie that perched on a stump and cooked a bright eye at the travellers the thing that rustled along lengths through dead leaves in a beech coppice and was it appeared a real live snake all these made the journey a royal progress to Dickie of Deptford. He forgot that he was lame, forgot that he had run away, a fact that had cost him a twinge or two of fear or conscience early in the morning. He was happy as a prince is happy, newcome to his inheritance, and it was Mr. Beale, after all, who was the first to remember that there was a carriage in which a tired little boy might ride. "'In you get,' he said suddenly, "'you'll be fair-knocked,' "'You can look about you just as well as sitting down,' he added, laying the crutch across the front of the perambulator. "'Never see such a nipper for noticing, neither. "'Hi, there goes a rabbit. See him? Cross the road there? See him?' Dickie saw, and the crown was set on his happiness. A rabbit! Like the ones that his fancy had put in the mouldering hutch at home. "'It's got loose,' said Dickie, trying to scramble out of the perambulator. Let's catch him and take him along. He ain't loose, he's wild, Mr. Beale explained. He ain't never been caught. Lives out here with his little frenzies, he added, after a violent effort of imagination. In oats in the ground. Gets his own meals and larks about on his own. How beautiful, said Dickie, wriggling with delight. This life of the rabbit, as described by Mr. Beale, was the child's first glimpse of freedom. I'd like to be a rabbit. "'You much better be my little nipper,' said Beale. "'Said yon, mate. "'How am I to wear the room in pram "'if you goes on like as if you was a bag of veals?' "'They camped by a copse for the midday meal, "'sat on the grass, made a fire of sticks, "'and cooked herrings in a frying-pan, "'produced from one of the knobbly bundles. "'It's better than fifth of November,' said Dickie, "'and I do like you. "'I like you next to my own daddy and Mr. Baxter next door.' "'That's all right,' said Mr. Beale awkwardly. "'It was in the afternoon that halfway up a hill "'they saw coming over the crest a lady and a little girl. "'How'd you get?' said Mr. Beale quickly. "'Walk as oppy as you can, and if they asked you, "'you say you ain't had nothing to eat since last night, "'and then it was a bit of dry bread.' "'Right you are,' said Dickie, enjoying the game. "'And mind you call me father.' Yes, said Dickie, exaggerating his lameness in the most spirited way. It was acting, you see, and all children love acting. Mr. Beer went more and more slowly, and as the lady and the little girl drew near, he stopped altogether and touched his cap. Dickie, quick to imitate, touched his. Could you spare a trifle, ma'am, said Beer, very gently and humbly, to help us along the road? My little chap, he's lame like what you see. It's a hard life for the likes of him, ma'am. He ought to be at home with his mother, said the lady. Beale drew his coat sleeve across his eyes. 
"'He ain't got no mother,' he said. "'She was took bad sudden. "'A chill it was, and struck through her innards. "'She died in the infirmary. three months ago it was, ma'am, "'and us not able even to get a bick of black for her.' "'Dicky sniffed. "'Poor little man,' said the lady. "'You miss your mother, don't you?' "'Yes,' said Dicky sadly. "'But father is very good to me. "'I couldn't get on if it wasn't for father.' "'Oh, well done, little one,' said Mr. Beale to himself. "'We lay under a haystack last night,' he said aloud, "'and where we lie to-night, gracious only knows, "'without some kind soul lends us a helping hand.' "'The lady fumbled in her pocket, and the little girl said to Dicky, "'Where are all your toys?' "'I ain't got but two, said Dicky, and they are at home, "'one of them silver, real silver, my grandfather added when he was a little boy.' "'But if you've got silver, you oughtn't to be begging,' said the lady, shutting up her purse. Beale frowned. "'It only pawns for a shilling,' said Dicky, "'and father knows what store I sets by it.' "'A shilling's a lot, I grant you that,' said Beale eagerly, "'but I wouldn't go to take away the nipper's little bit of pleasure, "'not for a shilling I wouldn't,' he ended nobly, with a fond look at Dicky. "'You're a kind father,' said the lady. "'Yes, isn't he, mother?' said the little girl, "'May I give the little boy my penny?' The two travellers were left facing each other, the richer by a penny, and, oh, wonderful good fortune, a whole half-crown. They exchanged such glances as might pass between two actors as the curtain goes down on a successful dramatic performance. "'You did that bit fine,' said Beale. "'Fine you did. You've been there before, ain't you?' "'No, I never,' said Dicky. "'Here's the steeple.' "'You stick to that,' said Beale, radiant with delight. "'You're a fair masterpiece, you are. "'You earned it honest if ever a kid done. "'Pets you on the nepper she does, and out with half a dollar. "'A bit of all right, I call it.' "'They went on up the hill, as happy as anyone need wish to be. "'They had told lies, you observe, "'and had by these lies managed to get half a crown and a penny "'out of the charitable, and far from being ashamed of their acts, they were bubbling over with merriment and delight at their own cleverness. Please do not be too shocked. Remember that neither of them knew any better. To the elder tramp, lies and begging were natural means of livelihood. To the little tramp, the whole thing was a new and entrancing game of make-believe. By evening they had seven and sixpence. "'Us'll have fourpenny dust out o' this,' said Beale. "'Swelp me, Bob. We'll be riding in our own moti, afore we know where we are at this rate.' "'But you said the bed was the green curtains,' urged Dicky. "'Well, perhaps you are right. Lay up for a rainy day, eh? "'Which this end, not by no means. "'There's a haystack a bit out of the town, if I remember right. "'Come on, mate.' "'And Dicky, for the first time, slept out of doors. "'Have you ever slept out of doors? "'The night is full of interesting little sounds "'that will not, at first, let you sleep. "'The rustle of little white things in the hatches.' the barking of dogs in distant farms, the chirp of crickets and the croaking of frogs. And in the morning the birds wake you, and you curl down warm among the hay and look up at the sky that is growing lighter and lighter, and breathe the chill sweet air, and go to sleep again, wondering how you have ever been able to lie of nights in one of those shut-up boxes with holes in them, which we call houses. The new game of begging and inventing stories to interest the people from whom it was worth while to beg went on gaily, day by day and week by week, and Dicky, by constant practice, grew so clever at taking his part in the acting 
that Mr. Beale was quite dazed with admiration. "'Blessed if I ever see such a nipper,' he said, over and over again. And when they got near to Hythe, and met with the red-whiskered man who got up suddenly out of the hedge and said he'd been hanging off and on, expecting them for nigh on a week, Mr. Beale sent Dickie into a field to look for mushrooms, which didn't grow there, expressly that he might have a private conversation with the red-whiskered man, a conversation which began thus. "'Couldn't get ear before. Couldn't get a nipper. "'Is up ye is. Ear no good.' "'No good?' said Beale. "'That's all you know. He's a wonner, and no bloomin' error. Turns the ladies round his finger as easy as kiss ye end. Clever as a train-dog he is, and all outer his own head, and to ear the way he does the patter to me on the road. Is as good as a gaff any day to ear him. My word, I ain't sure, as I hadn't better stick to the road, and keep away from old ends like you, Jim. Doin' well, eh? said Jim. Not so dusty, said Mr. Beale cautiously. We mug along somehow, and he's got so red in the face and plumped out so, they'd soon say he doesn't want their dibs. Starve him a bit, said the red-whiskered man cheerfully. Mr. Beale laughed. Then he spat thoughtfully. Then he said, It's from... I likes to see the little beggar stocking up, for all it spoils the market. If he gets a bit fat, he makes it up in cleverness. You should ear him. And so forth and so on, till the red-whiskered man said quite crossly, Seems to me you're a bit dotty about this ear extreme double nipple. I never knew you took like it afore. Fact is, said Beale, with an air of great candor, it's his cleverness does me. It and as I'm silly about him, but he's that clever. I hope he's clever enough to do what he's told. Keep his mug shut, that's all. He's clever enough for anything, said Beale, and close as wax. He's got a silver toy hidden away somewhere. It only pops for a bob. And you think he'll tell me where it stowed? Not him, and a such pelts as never was, and a straw wagging all day long, but he's never let it out. Oh, stow it, said the other impatiently. I don't want to hear no more about him. If he's straight, he'll do for me, and if he ain't, I'll do for him. See? And now you and me'll have a word or two particular, and settle about this here job. I got the plan drawed out. It's as easy job as ever I see. Seems to me Tuesday's as good a day as any. Tiptopper, said what Talbot that's him. He's in fern parts for his elf, sees. Comes home end of next month. Little surprise for him, eh? You'll have to train it. Abrams, he'll be there Monday. And see ye. He sank his voice to a whisper. When Dickie came back without mushrooms, the red-whiskered man was gone. See that bloke just now, said Mr. Beale. Yes, said Dickie. Well, you never see him. If anyone asks you if you ever see him, you never set eyes on him in all you're born, not to remember him. Might have passed him in a crowd, see? Yes, said Dickie again. Tusn't been half a panto neither, as to on the road, Mr. B went on. Not half. Well, now, we are going in the train like ducks, and after that we are going to every rare old Beano, I give you my word. Dickie was full of questions, but Mr. B had no answers for them. You just wait. Oh, done a bit. Them as lives longest sees most. These were the sort of remarks which were all that Dickie could get out of him. It was not the next day, which was a Saturday, that they took the train like dukes, nor was it Sunday, on which they took a rest and washed their shirts, according to Mr. Beale's rule of life. They took the train on Monday, and it landed them in a very bright town by the sea. 
its pavements were of red brick, and its houses of white stone, and its bow windows and balconies were green, and Dickie thought it was the prettiest town in the world. They did not stay there, but walked out across the downs, where the skylarks were singing, and on a dip of the downs came upon great stone walls and towers very strong and grey. "'What's that there?' said Dickie. "'It's a castle, like what the king's got at Windsor.' "'Is it a king as lives here, then?' Dickie asked. "'No, nobody don't live here, mate,' said Mr. Beale. "'It's a ruin, this is. Only house and rats lives in the ruins.' "'Did anyone ever live in it?' "'I shouldn't wonder,' said Mr. Beale indifferently. "'Yes, of course they must have, come to think of it. "'But you learned all that at school. "'It's what they call history.' Dickie, after some reflection, said, "'Do you ever hear of ear Ward?' "'I know the Jake Ward once. "'Ear Ward the wake. "'He ain't a bloke you'd know. "'He's in history. "'Tell you if you like.' The tale of Herewood the wake lasted till the jolting perambulator came to anchor in a hollow place among thick firs bushes. The bare, thick stems of the firs held it up like a roof over their heads as they sat. It was like a little firs house. End of chapter 2, part 1